Well, and I'll also tell you, we had our, uh, one of our adult Sunday school classes start this morning, kicked off with uh, Daryl and uh, Bruce, and I'm excited. And it was a hybrid Zoom. So we had people that aren't in the building talking with people that were in the building. It's like we're living in the world of the Jetsons. Here in uh, three weeks, we're going to be uh, starting uh, a book series that they're going through. So if you're interested in uh, connecting with one of our small groups on Sunday mornings, we've got childcare. So if you've got kids, you know, we can, uh, we can sew them into the children's ministry and you can sit out here and receive without having to, to chase around and, you know, handle snacks and, and all that stuff. So if you're interested in uh, getting involved with that class, just either go see Bruce or uh, Daryl back here. Raise your hand up for us. Thank you. Um, or if you come talk to me about it, I will go, great, go talk to them. So we have got uh, Ron and Sarah Nelson uh, with us, and you can have microphones. Um, the reason why I wanted to pick their brand, this month we've been talking about spiritual maturity um, and how in the world we start developing Yay. Um, the practices and the mindset on how to get this wonderful spiritual health that the Holy Spirit has given us out to the surface. Because we can have something and, you know, this little light of mine, I'm not going to hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. We've got this light that's on the inside of us, but so, so much of our lives create a bushel to hide that light from others. And so the process of developing spiritual maturity is how in the world do we handle stuff to be able to move the bushels off of our light and let that light shine. And I have known Ron and Sarah for, let's say years. <laughs> how long has it been? Seven, eight years? Ten years? Oh, man. Um, and they have been, I have seen them walk through nasty stuff. I've seen them walk through nasty stuff here. And it's like, they're just, they're dedicated and they're consistent and they put one foot in front of the other. Um, and while in, in my life, I've seen a lot of like, you know, the tortoise and the hare parable. I've seen a lot of hares, you know, they're like, I'm really excited about this. And then, you know, you run for a few minutes and then you sit down and you never run again. Meanwhile, you have these, these pillars, these champions of faith I'm not comparing you to a turtle. Um, we have these pillars of faith that just year after year, decade after decade, just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And so I thought, who better? I mean, I could throw a, you know, a paper airplane and hit anybody in this room that would be wonderful to be up here for me to pick your brain about spiritual maturity. But I thought of Ron and Sarah and their deacons. So, you know, it, it makes sense for you guys to, to be up here. So, Ron and Sarah, who are you? Where'd you guys come from? Where were you born? I assume that you started off life as a small kid. To quote the jerk. Either one. We're, we're going to be, you know, whoever wants to answer first, or we can do rock, paper, scissors. Well, Ron. All right. Where are you from? Who Upstate are you? Upstate New York. Long way away. What city? I grew up in Cobuskill, famed by several. Well, I know there's at least one person who's heard of it. Cobuskill? Um, Cobuskill. West of Albany, north of New York City, about three, and a half, three hours northwest. So, How was life in upstate New York? It, 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 the farm community, small, the poorest county in the state of New York looked a lot like this. That's why this feels very familiar, this, this rolling hill landscape, lots of green trees, friendly farming people that put up with the government like everybody else does. <laughs> so. Well, Miss Sarah, who are you? Where are you from? Ooh. Uh, 
Uh, I'm from a little bit of all over. I was born in New York, and we spent a lot of time traveling between New York and a little city down near Myrtle Beach. Okay. So I kind of had a hybrid upbringing of being like the perfect little Southern girl and being not the perfect little Southern girl, being more the tough New Yorker girl. Um, and we always lived more in the suburbs and, and a city block. And so this whole dairy farmer thing was new to me. How did you guys meet? At church. Oh, well, okay. Well, then how did you guys get into church? Like, did you guys grow up in church? or? I, I grew up in church. I can remember going, being sent, my parents sent up my brothers and sisters and I to church about a mile away, a little country, conservative Baptist, sing the hymns and listen to the preacher and... Wednesday night prayer meetings and the whole, the whole nine. So, always went to church. Never did anything different. So you like locked into that gear at like five, and you're <laughs> as long as I can remember getting saved in Sunday school at eight years old, and that that was going to church and then going to the youth group, meeting friends and hanging out with them, and that was life. And you just happened to pick the same church. No? That's its own story. Okay. <laughs> How did you get into church? Um, I also grew up in church, but probably a less healthy version sure. of it. Um, so I, I did not grow up in like an apple pie kind of home, although we tried to look that way from the outside. And there was a lot of abuse that I grew up with and a lot of control issues. And so for my dad, especially, church kind of was this thing that backed up his authority to control us. And so we started out in kind of relatively normal church life, and then the older I got as a teenager, the churches got more and more oppressive. And they really got to a point where I wouldn't even call them churches. Sure. I would say they were cults by any other name. Yeah. And by the time I was about 17, I was done. I was done with church. I didn't have any respect for church or God or my parents, and I was out. So it took me a while to come back around to church. How did that happen? Because that seems like one of those, like once you hit the door, it's like, I'm done. I guess the blessing of growing up before cell phones is probably the thing that saved me. Okay. Because I was sort of 19, 20, and I had some friends, and my friends all went to church. And so the after party, is what I'm going to call it, for all those activities that happened after church, you don't know about it unless you're at church. Right. And so I started going to church just so I'd know where the after party was. And so I was kind of going to church, not buying into it, thinking it was all a big sham. But I was there, and I was brought up to be very polite, and so I would listen. And eventually that truth just kind of starts to sink in. And you, I guess I would say I came to a point where I had to have a real reckoning with God about the things that happened to me that seemed unfair, yeah. that were unfair. And, you know, you have to get to that point where you can wrestle out how can bad things happen to me and God still be good. Because yeah. that does seem like the eternal question we all wrestle with. And so that was sort of that turning point, but it was honestly, it was just my friends going to church. That's, that's a similar story with me of like, I, I just showed up to show up and then I didn't realize I was being set up through the whole process. You know, <clears throat> in retrospect, it's like, oh, okay. Right. And I mean, and there's a thousand things that we don't get yet on that, but once we got on the other side, it's like, oh my goodness. 
So my journey went from that little 100-person country church that everybody knew everybody, and most people were related to each other. And nice. We, it's like, well, we're getting out of high school into college, and you need to meet somebody because you want to get married. And it's like, well, but I'm related to almost everybody in the right. church, so that's not going to work out so well. Um, so a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, his family left uh, the church and went up to the church that, that she happened to be going to. And he's like, hey, they, they got contemporary worship. Come on up and let's, you know, because it was, we were musicians. We had a band growing up. And so we, you know, the hymns were, were cool and they were awesome, but they weren't what we were listening to yeah. or playing. So we're like, well, we want to, we want to rock out in church, basically. What else did he say about church? I don't remember. Tell me. Yes, you do. <laughs> I don't know what you think. Oh, well, yeah, there was good-looking girls up at this church, and you weren't related to any of them, so come on up. So, you know, that whole circle thing. I'll tell you so guys anyway, a story later about that. So we, I started going up Wednesday on, on, like, Sunday nights, and we, same age group, started hanging around each other, and, and how many years later? Two years later, maybe? Maybe. Yeah, so it's kind of funny because uh, there was four couples of that group that all got married all friends that got married to each other and all got married in the same year. So What year is this? 2000. 2000? Yeah. Can you guys remember that far back? 2000? I feel old. Seems like a lifetime ago. I feel very old. And I'm sure like half the room is just like, <laughs> 2000 was yesterday. I get that. So you guys got into church. You're coming in with some feelings. Ron's kind of like, kind of this excited part. Like, Ron, at what point in time did your faith start, like, getting out of just like, you showed up and you got saved into a, like, more, this is what I'm going to do. Like, at what point in time did it start getting real personal for you? Well, we, growing up with, I had a set of, I went to public school, so I had a set of school friends that weren't saved, and I had all my church friends that were, so I was living in a I, I pretend to be this person, not pretend, I'm this person on Sunday and Sunday night and Wednesday, but then does that carry into school? Yeah. And it wasn't easy, but I had all this, these great group of guys that I hung out with that were all, all, not necessarily on fire, but it was a great accountability. Sure. So it's like, well, do I, you know, I didn't necessarily inherit it from my parents. Like, my parents are Christians, and I just grew up in church, that kind of thing. But it was like, at one point in your teens, you got to figure out, am I, gonna, am I going to church for my friends, just hang out for the after party? Mm -hmm. Or am I going because I believe this stuff? And so, and in talking to those guys, and we did some, a little bit of small group study things outside of church. And so, it, it's kind of sinking into, I really believe this. I'm being challenged at school, but so it, it just grew my faith at that point because... I had to. I had to turn around. And I had to start believing it. And we were in a Christian rock band, and we were out there singing songs. And it's like, okay, you can do that, but you're not going to go smoke marijuana in the car afterwards. Sure. Or drink or whatever, you know. We didn't do, but other people did, so. We had a laundry list of things we weren't allowed to do. Yeah. Yeah. So it was my evolution from that small country church to, to more um, faith that uh, you felt. Yeah. And, 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 and uh, changed you and made you react and, and just affected your life. So it went from conservative country church to the church that she was going to, which had contemporary worship. And 
some raising hands and some clapping and, and you just kind of felt that more God was affecting you as you were there worshiping as opposed to, you know, turn the page, sing one, three, and five, and then do the next hymn kind of thing. It was an easier on-ramp for you to connect to that church. And I'm sure the scenery wasn't a bad. No. Yeah. No. So you guys got together. When did you guys start having those conversations of like, oh, baby, darling, I love you. I'm going to spend the rest of my life with you. I'm sure we talk like that now. (laughs) (laughs) You were a suitable arrangement? Yeah. Was Um, it more like that side of it? I'm thinking 1998, probably. I knew I, I, we were starting to date, and then she went on a missions trip to British Columbia nice. for two weeks. Oh, it was, that was not, that's when I knew I was in love because I wasn't <laughs> eating, I wasn't sleeping, I was just, you know, so you know it's got you when that stuff starts happening. So, yeah, I think it was then, then we, we got engaged in 99, I think, and, it, and then a year later married, so. So you guys got together, the combination of these amazing faiths, like the rivers met, and everything has been perfect ever since. Absolutely. <laughs> Every bit of that. That's so, why we're on stage, isn't it? Because it's everything's perfect. Well, right. Yeah. yeah. Sure. We, we don't even have toilets in our, in our house. So as you guys start getting together, how in the world did you not run screaming from the relationship on like year two of marriage? Because I'm sure that you guys living together, it's like, man, ooh, this is more difficult than I had intended. What kept you guys together? I think it was more difficult for Ron, to be perfectly honest, because I had issues. I definitely had issues. You know, I had come to church for the after party, and then I sort of morphed into this believer, but it was like a contractual belief almost, like, okay, I'm going to sign up and I'm going to do all the things and I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to show up every time the door is open and then God, in return, you will make sure I have no trouble. My car won't break down. I won't have any serious illnesses. You know, so I definitely had that sort of mindset. And so I think really what it developed in me was sort of like this control. Mm -hmm. Like if I do all the right things, then God's going to do all the right things and he's going to be perfect and I'm going to be perfect and we won't have any problems. And that just is not life. And that's not the deal that God's offering us. It's the deal we're offering to God. And he's like, no. Um, So I think it was trickier for Ron because I was coming to a point over those first probably five years where I was realizing that the contract was one-sided and it made me very bitter. And I had all of these unresolved issues from my family that I was running from as fast as I can, but I was still carrying around the problems from it and like some of the unhealthy behaviors. So like a really good example is in my family, when you have a disagreement, you had it as loudly as possible. (laughs) And you know, basically it was a fight to the death and whoever just was loudest for the longest would win. And so when I came into marriage, I thought that's how everybody solved their problems. So I would get upset and I would be like, ah, and I would just, you know, yell and get really angry. And he would just sit there like, yeah, I'm not participating in this. I'm not yelling at you. 
And I don't know where that kind of self-control came from, and I'm really thankful for it now, but back then, it would irritate oh, me. Oh, yeah, you want to, to hit somebody no with a baseball end. bat. Have you ever just wanted to fight with someone who will mm -hmm. not fight back, and you're like, I will do everything I can, and you turn into like a three-year-old, like knocking things off of yep. tables, like, will this make you yell at me? And I could never get that reaction. Mm -hmm. And I thought, man, I don't know anything about anything. I don't know how to relate to this man because he's not like any man I've ever lived with before. And it just, it just got to a point where I had to start to unpack all of that ick yeah. and deal with it. Ron, how did you deal with that? Like, how, how do you not fight back and how do you not just run for the hills? Well, my family, I grew up, everything was big family. So, you know, you had to fill out a contract we, in order to have well, a disagreement. My parents weren't volatile. I don't remember ever seeing them fight. So we just learned that, that you just do your thing. You know, there wasn't this wild swing up and down, no drama. There are people like this that exist. Just so you know, so, like when I found that out for the first time, I was like, what? What planner are you guys from? So yelling was very uncomfortable. I so agree. We didn't do it. We were, everybody just want, everybody in my family was just pretty even keeled and not wild swinging and. The drama, I don't know if, we, if my folks covered, I, there was drama, but we just never knew about it because it was just kind of glossed over. But So when, when she comes and starts yelling, she says, we, you don't care about me because you won't fight with me. I'm like, what, what is this crazy girl talking about? I, I had no idea. I mean, it, but I, I was committed. I'm like, we're, we're here and I'm, I love you and I'm, we're going to figure this thing out. I knew her history. I knew her dad was a wild, crazy, wanted by the FBI kind of person. And and I knew what I was, I kind of knew, you, you kind of think you have this idea of what you're getting, but when you live with someone, you know, dating, you put your best face on and you go out and you, you know, you see a spark of some weirdness, but nothing big red flag. But when you live with someone and they just didn't sleep well or they had a rough day and they came home and now it's, now we're having a fight over who knows what, over, you know, a 99 cent box of brownies, which did happen. Because um, I put too much oil in it, but anyway. It happens. It happens, but that's, but so you, you decide, but I mean, there was a point where, we were, we, the year three, year four, we were talking about splitting up. Yeah. Seven. Was it seven? It, was seven. it wasn't that long. It was. was it? Promise. Wow, time flies anyway. So we were, but we, we had gotten to the point where we started living separate lives. Yeah. And she had her interest and she was off doing her thing and I had my stuff and I was doing my thing and it's like, well, I, I don't see you anymore. You, you, I hear stories about how much fun you're having, but you're not including me. And so we were like, well, what's the point in staying together? But the enemy was kind of getting in there and saying, okay, well, this is, we're, we're done with this. Well, and, and things at church weren't going super well either. So, you know, you're, you, you don't have any, there's nobody at home to talk to. There's nobody, things at church are not going well. So how did that start? Like, how did you guys come out? I mean, assuming that that's not, that didn't happen last week. No. How did, how did the, how did it start turn, turning? I think, I, go ahead, you may have a uh, we had a We had a real sit down and a calm one. Like I was not yelling and screaming. We went and sat at a table and said, okay, well if we split up, who's getting this? Yeah. Who gets the house? I'm keeping the dogs, that's non-negotiable. Um, so we were kind of having that and then it was like, or we could just give this everything we've got like, you're not a horrible person. It's not like, you know, he's not cheating on me. I'm not being beaten, vice versa. It's just we forgot how to work together. Yeah. And so it was like 
we could just give this everything we've got and see what happens in a year and just go for this. And it was like, but it was everything. It wasn't just this. It was like, we've got to get serious with God and we've got to go to church and we've got to, we've got to have everything firing and say that we've given as much effort as we can give. And then if it's still a failure, then it's not us because we did everything we could do. I think we changed jobs at that point too. We changed a lot. Because wow. we were just stagnant. We were just doing, church wasn't going great. Our jobs were kind of like, yeah, I've been here five years. Eh. Marriage, yeah, I've been here seven years. Eh. You know, just you get that kind of. The slump, yeah. The, yeah, you get that, exactly. A slump. And so. then, so you guys, like, all right, we need to actually kick into a different gear and just start motoring out. And then all of a sudden, everything was perfect from then on out. Right. So how did you start noticing, like when was one of the times you started noticing, hey, I've not pulled a knife on you this week? Like when did you feel traction? I don't know that I felt traction, but I think that I felt support. Okay. You know, like changing jobs doesn't automatically make your career amazing. You can change everything, but if you are still a problem... You're just transferring your problems to the next thing. So um, one of the things that happened in probably years eight to 10, a few very significant things happened. One was I just knew I was not supposed to go to our church anymore. And after you sit down with your husband, like, we're going to go to church and we're going to love God. And then you're like, but not this one. And this is not a person who necessarily embraces change. And, and I, I left church first. I left church alone without my spouse and went to a different church, and that was challenging. I had gotten a different job, and it was a great job, but I was still having the same kind of angsty feelings that I had at my previous job. And then I developed some health problems, and that's probably, I would say, those years are where the rubber hit the road for sure. me in my personal relationship with God. Because I developed these health problems, I became pretty convinced I had a brain tumor just because of the nature of the issues I was having. And I went to a doctor, and this doctor was giving me an exam. And in the middle of the exam, out of the clear blue sky, he was like, so what was your childhood like? And at that point, being a true New Yorker, I said, that is none of your business. That's not why I'm here. (laughs) We're dealing with this. We're not dealing with this. You know, help me out. So he sat me down and he goes, I don't think there's anything wrong with you. I just think think you're really stressed. And I think there's something that you're not dealing with. And I said, well, I really appreciate your opinion. I'd like another one. Please refer me to someone else. So I went to the next doctor. And do you know that next doctor told me the exact same thing? And he did all the tests. He did, you know, the MRIs. And they did everything. And he was like, I really think you need to talk to somebody. And I was like, how dare you? (laughs) And by by that time, when the same name kept getting slid across the counter, like, I really think you need to talk to this person. I was like, fine, I don't feel well. My life isn't going particularly well. I'm just having the same problems in new locations. And I just remember that I went home and I talked to Ron and Ron was like, I really think you should do it. I was like, (laughs) you know, you want that one person to be like, you're not crazy, they're all jerks. Validate me. That didn't happen. (laughs) And then I can remember I went in the bedroom and I just cried and I prayed. 
And I was like, God, I was fully prepared to have a brain tumor. Like, in all honesty, I would have rather had a brain tumor than had to go talk to somebody about the things that were bothering me. And I can remember crying, and I was like, if you don't show up and you don't fix this for me, I don't ever want to talk to you again. It was like, you're either going to rescue me or you're going to leave. And that's it. We're not talking anymore. And that, that is really where we started to find traction. Because I, I got to a point where I wasn't so much looking at the things that happened in my past as, well, those are great things to base all of your future behavior on. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of started to just unpack it and get really real. Yeah. And I think, I think, honestly, that's the thing that helped everything else. Well, we had financial there's a dimension of spirituality in life, which is finances. And so here's, you know, I was listening to Dave Ramsey on the radio and doing the opposite almost. Yeah. I was like, here, Sarah, here's our budget. Here's what, we, here's how you, here's what you're spending. And obviously that didn't go over very well. No. So we were both working and <laughs> had a mortgage, had a second mortgage, had a car payment, had a payment on this and a payment on that, and just spent, spent, spent. So that was adding a lot of stress to the matter. And so when she, when she, started going to counseling, I started getting more into Dave Ramsey and read, actually read a book instead of listening. And, and it's like, oh, well, I've been doing everything wrong. So I was working on the relating and money relation. She was working on her relationship with God. Of course, I was working on mine too. But um, it was that dimension of things certainly caused a lot of friction, a lot of friction. Every month was a fight and not yeah. a budget meeting. And or even if we whenever we had them. Where's all the money? I don't know. What'd you spend? Well, I don't know. What'd you spend? And that was yep. not helping even a little bit. So. Well, it's funny how like you can get, you can get in a state and even in the, even when everything's going right, dealing with either one of those things is a full-time job mm-hmm. of like starting to unpack your past or starting to get your finances in order. It is a, my entire world's falling apart and you guys were dealing with both of it at, at the same time. I mean, it's a recipe for disaster of like, we're, we're either going to blow something up or something's going to turn into this amazing thing. So like as you started pa- unpacking your, your past and going to counseling, how did that go? Or did like the person, like was the person a crazy weirdo or? No. Um, I will say like starting out though, it really was like that mustard seed of faith where they mm-hmm. talk about in the Bible like, you know, I'm really mad at God. I'm not happy with how my life is going, but notice that the first thing I do is go pray and try to make another bargain. Like, you're going to fix this, right? Like, so I clearly still think I'm dealing with this powerful entity. I hadn't written God off completely. And I'm sticking it out with this, even though we're frustrated with each other and vice versa. So it's like even having that mustard seed of faith in the other person of like, okay, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to try really hard. Um, but no, she was not a crazy person. But, and uh, this will probably just kind of tell you really where I was, I did not want to go to a Christian counselor. Yeah. Did not want to do it. Because I had talked to Christian counselors in the past, and it always kind of became this very spiritual ultimatum. Like, yes, this terrible thing happened to you, and if you were a good Christian, you would just forgive them and move on. Yeah. And it's like, well... Okay, I'm I didn't know. I'm not sure that 20 years of trauma can just happen like that. Right. <laughs> and so... In my mind, that was the one thing. But since everybody kept giving me the same name, that was the person I contacted. And I went in and 
<clears throat> I was the perfect patient because I sat down and I was like, here are the rules yeah. to treating Sarah Nelson. <laughs> We're not going to blame my parents. You're not going to put me on a bunch of drugs. And like, I just had all of these rules for how she could fix me. So like, you can fix me as long as you operate within this very narrow parameter. And she listened very politely. And I was like, now the last thing, this is just, you know how sometimes your Christianity, like anybody else who's watching it must be laughing hysterically. So I've already confessed to you, I'm going to church for all the wrong reasons. I have this wrong attitude about God. So then I look at this woman and I said, and I'm a Christian and you're not gonna do anything to mess with my faith in God. You know, you're not gonna tell me God isn't real. You're not gonna try to make this super spiritual or make it not spiritual at all. You're like, just don't mess with that. And she looked at me and she was like, well, that's fine. I'm a Jew. And she goes, I'll do you the, a favor of I won't tell you that Jesus isn't God and you won't tell me he is God, deal? And I was like, sure, deal. And so it, you know, it was this really bizarre relationship that started off that way. And, you know, I went to counseling for about a year and a half because it was just before we moved. And it, the funniest part is the longer I went to therapy, the more spiritual my therapy got. Because even if she was a Jew and I was a Christian, there was so much that we shared in common. Yeah. And it was like God was all over it. But I was just, I was a control freak. I was trying to put her in a box. I was trying to put God in a box. trying to put my husband in a box. There are no boxes. Yeah. Oh, that's, and it's so frustrating to be able to, because, you know, people that grow up in, you know, as princesses and princes and nobody ever has to deal with any kind of family drama. I'm sure the rest of the church is like that. When, when your childhood is chaotic, it's like, well, I have to be in control because if I'm not in control, then it's chaos and I can't have that. And so we tend to, no, I will fix everything and I will make sure every, like, don't, don't wash dishes that way because they're done this way. Because when you do that, the world falls apart. So you're going to, to counseling with this New York Jewish lady, which I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that. And you found like this financial therapy, like with Dave Ramsey of like, so one of the things I did notice is that both of those things puts a little bit more of like, hey, the, the power's here to be able to, like if you want to change something, you have the ability to, to make that decision. You're not just tossed on the, on the waves of your budget. You're not just tossed on the waves of your past. Like, who cares what happened last year? Who cares what happened five years ago? We, we can start making some progress through that. So you guys are set up for some pretty good success. And you said that it was about a year before you guys moved. And then you moved to Tennessee. And everything has been perfectly fine ever since then, right? Like, Tennessee was just a, a wonderful experience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree. So, I mean, obviously, you guys have been dealing with, with challenges, like, since you got here. You know, because, like, every day you wake up, there's reasons to, to run out on each other. There's reasons to give up on your budget. There's reasons to give up on counseling. There, like, I'm not seeing any progress. There's tons of reasons to walk out on church, tons of reasons to walk out on family, on, on friends. The, the number one question that I've got floating around in my head how in the world did you guys not? Because it, it, it seems like a baffling thing of like, you, got to, you guys had every reason 
to give up on each other, to give up on faith, to give up on church. Why have you not yet? And who knows what the future holds, but like, you guys are some of the most persevering, dedicated people that I know. It's not magic. Right. And, I, and we're not special. Like, we don't have any super secret special characteristic. I'm not brewing up any secret sauce at home that I'm going to sell you and then you'll be just like us. It's really just you get up every day and you believe that God is good. You believe that you're here for a reason. You believe that your spouse is good. And then you just go. Yeah. And the more you need grace the better you get at practicing it sometimes. Of like, yeah, of course, I'm not perfect. He's not perfect. Our church isn't perfect. Our pastor's not perfect. Yeah. Like, there are not going to be any perfect people. Your relationship with God is not going to be perfect because you're in it. <laughs> and so you just, you just sort of have to determine that you're not going to find perfection anywhere else. This seems like the very best bet to me. Yeah. Like, where in the world would I go? If, if this relationship isn't working out, like, where, where, where would I go? Because I bring something mom said one time. Um, it was just so profound. Like, my, my dad was her f- fourth husband, I think. And then I showed up, and so she was single for, you know, 10 years. More than that. Who cares? 10, 10-ish years. And then she said, I started realizing, like, on year three, I'm still dealing with the same things that I was mad at your father for, but your dad hadn't been around for years. And then she started dealing with like, a, oh no, it's the, the problems in here. And so like when we don't ever start working, like, cause the only, I can't ever make somebody else do anything that I want them to do. Cause that's control, that's manipulation, that's nasty stuff. The only thing that I can ever do to change is to start right here. And so like when somebody sits and starts going through like budget stuff and it's like, you gotta, you gotta change your habits. It's like, no, I don't need my habits to change. I need my bank account to change. Like, right. Your bank account is the result of what's going on in here. So like, Ron, with you dealing with like all the stress that they deal with at work and, you know, leadership at the, at the church, walking through, you know, however many seasons of weirdness that we've walked through, how in the world do you not just go enough? Like I'm good just to go live out on my idyllic farm out in the middle of nowhere. And I'm good not to be around any of this hot mess. I mean, it's, those thoughts have crossed my mind. Just, just give up and life would be easier. Well, but, good. That makes me feel a whole lot I mean, lot it's, it's, real, it's life. I mean, yeah. you're just like, well, crap. Everything's falling to pieces and you just throw it away. Yeah. But we've, since we've been married, before we got married, we, we dedicated ourselves. We are going to be a serving couple. So even before we were married, we were serving children's church and we've served worship teams and we've served uh, all kinds of stuff along the way. So... It gives you a chance to sow into other people things that you've learned and recognizing in someone else the struggle that they're having. It's like, well, it's easy to, to see it in someone else and give them the advice that they need. But then you turn that around and say, well, but I'm doing the same thing. I need to follow my own advice. So, um, yeah, it's been a, but the serving part, when we, when we stop serving, then we start getting stagnant. Yeah. And we, when we sow into the people, before we, we left New York, we had this awesome small group that met. 
of all people younger than us, and it was probably 10, 10 of us. So deep, intense studies and in-your-face kind of confrontation, in-your-face about sin mm -hmm. kind of stuff, and not pulling punches and just friendships around. So that really helped sustain and reinforce things that we were learning. I mean, we, she's an avid reader. I'm an occasional reader. And whenever I've read any kind of book, and just try to put that into practice, and it kind of gives you that little spiritual boost, whether things are going great at church or not, just doing your own study and stuff. So, and over time, my journey has gone from very conservative church to being here, and it's gotten progressively more spirit-filled along the way. And so the more things you see, you know, you can, you can read it in the Bible, but when you see it happening to people, and when you see it happening in church and people are excited and people are changing and miracles and healings, and we've seen that all here too, it just reinforces us like God is real. And if he's, yeah. that's the only reason to really, you know, I kind of get in these, these moments of, okay, yes, well, the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to move to Tennessee. Then the next thing I'm going to do is get a job. The next thing I'm going to do is build a house. The next thing I'm going to do is the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. It's like, well, yeah, but the next thing happens and you, you die. It's like, well, what's going to mean anything along that journey? It's like what you do in church, what you do for God is the only thing that's going to make have a lasting sure. difference in anything. So keep going back to that thought of, okay, yeah, I can do all this stuff and I can have all these goals, physical goals and life goals, but if I don't have a relationship with God and I'm not changing myself and trying to change the world, it doesn't really make any difference at all. Right. So, but we've been through a bunch of junk. Well, because from the surface, it, or from this point of view, it does seem like magic of like, <laughs> Where's the solution? Where's the, like, well, because the, the thing that we deal with is you walk down like any kind of motivational book aisle or self-help aisle and everybody's got a book for a solution of, if you just try these 10 things, these 18 things, you know, these seven steps, you get it. And it's, that's not been what it's, that's not been my experience with perseverance or with dedication. There are tools and there are things that help, but one of the, one of the most powerful things is just that one foot in front of the other of like, we are, I have found the thing that I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice my life around. Let's find that important thing. And we just go for it every day. And like, I'm not, I have the relationship with God that I have. I have the relationship with my family, with my friends that I have, not because I am exceptionally intelligent or, you know, crazy good looking, you know, like it doesn't have anything to do with my abilities. It's because you wake up every day and you put one foot in front of the other. And, and there are, and me saying that, that is on this side of looking backwards. Day to day, every day, moment to moment, hour by hour, there's a tremendous of like, I don't know. Like, how in the world did I walk through all the stuff that I walked through? I don't know. I don't, I, I can tell you the things that happened. I can tell you my reactions to things, but I have no idea how I'm still here, you know, and life knocked out the person to the left of me, life knocked out the person to the right of me. Why are you still here? I don't know. And it's easy to say, well, it's the grace of God, but like, you know, that's like, that's like saying that to a tornado of like, God protected my house. Does that mean that he didn't protect the people to the left and the right? But I think, I think one of the answers is just the, we're not quitting. We're not quitting. And to, and to say that, like, just because that you guys are still married and then somebody else walked through a divorce, that they quit, that's, that's not what I'm saying at all. 
or that they still like have their faith with God and somebody else doesn't have their faith with God, that means that you're a quitter. Oh, it's the 12 o'clock alarm. Um, that, that doesn't mean to say that if you have lost your faith or you have walked away from a relationship that you're a quitter at all. There have been tons of times in my life that I have walked away from relationships. There's been tons of times that I've walked away from my faith. So we've got these little hiccups where it's like, man, this is a, this is a rough season. So kind of one of the, the main reasons why I wanted to get up here and have this conversation is because I've seen how the sausage is made. And you think that like, once you see how something happens, it's like, oh, I don't, I don't want to know. Um, church life is kind of like that. You know, it can seem real idyllic and, and beautiful on the outside. And when you come in for a little while, it's like, oh, gosh, well, that's not near as magical as I thought it was. I want to communicate to everybody, this whole Christianity thing is not magic. We don't, just because we're on a stage does not mean that we have some special, we've read some special book or I've had oil put on my head a certain way that makes me successful and someone else not successful. The same Holy Spirit that is pulling us out of the garbage that we are currently walking through, much less the stuff that we walked through in our past, is the same Holy Spirit that has the ability to help you out of the stuff that, that you're dealing with. Notice one of the number one things that they, they kept saying, they had a community of people around them that they could be honest with. Ron said it 18 times, had a small group, had a small group, had a small group. And they both started getting into dealing with the stuff that was going on in here. Sarah went to counseling, Ron found Dave Ramsey. So like, you need to be in a community of people that you can be honest with, and you need to start working through some of the stuff that's going on inside of you. If your finances are crazy and out of whack, go read a book, go walk through Financial Peace University, like go get the help that you need. If your brain is all over the place so much so that you feel like you have a brain tumor, there are people that would love to walk you through some steps. If your relationships are all over the place, there are people that would love to walk you through. Whatever problem that you're facing right now, there is a community of people that will help you walk through the stuff. That all the solutions aren't necessarily in this room. Sometimes like, hey, you need to go to this conference, or you need, hey, here's my therapist. By the way, had a great time of therapy last Friday. Dude brought up something that I was like, nope, we're fine. Because I go into my therapy sessions with my legal pad of like, here's the 18 things that might be wrong with me this month. Here are the things that you're allowed to talk about. 90% of the time, he pushes it aside and goes, what about this? Like, well, I'm not prepared to talk about that. I'm not prepared to be vulnerable about this right here. Brought up something that happened 20 years ago, and I've been irritated about it ever since. You, you have one sermon about how you need to forgive people easily so you don't develop a spiritual infection, and that's all I've been dealing with all week. So I want to, the thing that I want to communicate, we're not superheroes. We're not special. All of us are on the same roller coaster. We're all trying to do the best that we can. Some days we look like, we have, like we're superstars and we have this secret power to do stuff. That is never what it feels like. So when you walk into this room and you don't feel like a superhero, you don't feel like you've got life by the horns and you're making all the best decisions in the world, welcome to a great family because all of us feel like that. But the, from my perspective, y'all look like superheroes. 
I know what a lot, not a lot, I know what a handful of you guys are walking through right now, and the fact that you walk in here and you are not screaming at the Lord and throwing a chair at the cross is amazing. So you look like superheroes to us, you guys look like superheroes to me, but all of us are just normal people walking out this very normal faith. So we gain nothing by looking impressive. We gain nothing about, or we gain nothing by saying, I'm just really more amazing than everyone else is. All of us are on the same playing field. So as we're, as we're about to bounce, I'd love to do this again. I'd, I'd love to, so we talked about, you know, 2000 to 2010. There's been my entire life story, like all of the good stuff that I know, we didn't even get into yet. Like that, that comes out next season. I got to wait a whole season for, you know, like what, what happens to the story? Like how in the world did you get from where you are to where you, or where you were to where you are? What's like the parting advice for us? Like if you could just say one thing to, to the church and it actually connect, what would it be? Um, the thing that God's really teaching me and showing me right now is that he created each one of us on purpose. Right. And he created you to be you, uniquely you, on purpose. And God doesn't compare us one to another. I always thought he did. I always thought that he was like, oh, yeah, Nona Sue is amazing. Be more like Nona Sue. Um, and Nona Sue is amazing. Right. But I can't ever be a Nona Sue. I will be a poor imitation of a Nona Sue. I'll be a poor imitation of a Justin. I have to learn how to be the Sarah God created Sarah to be, and so do you. So just because you look around and you know people and you think that they're great and they've got it all together and you're, you think, well, if I'm just like them, I'll be great too, a little bit. I mean, sure, people have good habits and maybe you should learn something from them, but you still need to figure out, well, why are you here? Right. Like, if God needed two Sarahs, he wouldn't have made them. He would have just made the one. One <laughs> is enough. So be you and get really deep with God about you. Because God doesn't want another me. God right. doesn't want another Justin. Right. He's got one. We're perfect. Right. <laughs> We're not. But he thinks we yeah. are. It's a full-time job just to handle one of me. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say just, just don't play the comparison game. You know, make... Choose good friends, choose wise people, learn from them. A spouse. Yeah. Amen. Choose a good spouse. Because my life would have been very different if I had married a different person. And yeah. that is the truth. So he, he gets a ton of credit. Um, but really, don't compare yourself to anybody else. God loved you. God yeah. made you. God is looking for a certain kind of worship and, and kind of that relational feedback that only you can give. So... Go out there and kill it. Be yeah. the best you you can be. I love that. What about you, Ron? What's some uh, advice that I think, we need? I, I, I go back to this. I think the one thing that's helped us grow the most and the one thing that's kept us going is serving in yeah. the church. It's, it's, pour, it's pouring out the, the things you, you learn and sharing that wisdom. We've, we've counseled a few people and learned about the attack of the enemy over the years and have shared that with other people to help them understand when when they're being under spiritual attack not it's not just physical and whatever so 
And so being able to pour into a life group, being leaders and being members, being able to pour into children's ministry, being able to pour into worship, just taking what God has given you and using it, and that just keeps you connected to the body, keeps you connected to God, keeps you accountable. That's uh, been that's one of the glues that's kind of helped us stay together. So. so